welcome to the Man On Podcast. I am Darren and joining me as always is Martin and Craig. I say as always, I missed Monday, <laughs> as we were just discussing, because uh, family stuff. But uh, I'm here today. Hello. Hello. Good to have you back. Thank you very much. New, 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 uh, new slides, not new stream just yet. Uh, but I like them. It's looking good. Yeah, it's very uh, pink. Very vivid. It's pink and black. We've gone for the Bret Hart theme. How how are you two? You guys all right? Yeah, hot, but I'm all right. It's you know what? It's so hot in it. So it was so English. Just say it like it's really hot in it. <laughs> it's. Uh, I yeah, thought I, I thought earlier I, I need to go for a run. It's too it's too hot outside to go for a run. So I went to the gym to run on the treadmill, and I'm not sure it was any better. To be honest, I no. thought I was going to pass out by the end of it. I was absolutely dripping. It was not good. So yeah, I won't do fair that again. Play, fair Just play. Run outside. That is that is dedication. Fair play to you. Um, I can't be asked for that. I might just do what Craig does next time and wear a vest. I've been, a, I've been for a run today. I had to run down to the end of the garden earlier because it actually fell down with rain for about 10 seconds. All the laundry was on the line. So I had to run down the end of the garden, get all the laundry in. By the time I brought it all back into the house, it stopped raining. Stop I had to go all the way back down the end again to put it yeah. all back out again. We had, a, we had a few spits. I'm not going to lie. If it rains heavily now, I'm going to go and lie down in the back garden. Just like, <laughs> can't wait. That's the stint of my exercise today. Doing that. <laughs> yeah, I've... I've I, yeah, I messed around with the kids at one point, so uh, that was my football and that. Can't go with anything more. Um, cool. Well, we've sort of made a, a mini-series of different, of uh, the last sort of three, four pods have been, you know, looking at uh, EO, looking at differentials, how to, how to win FPL in terms of what game rank you need. And uh, we continue that little mini-series on today. Um, so how do we gain an edge in FPL? Um, Let's go. Let's go with this. Martin, do you want to explain this one? Uh, well, Craig made the slide, so I'll let. Sorry, him Craig. Sorry, one. Craig. My apologies. It's too hot. <laughs> so, I think over over time, there's been different ways that you feel like you can get an advantage over other managers. Obviously, now we've had the we've looked at what the number the overall fit, uh, number one did in terms of playing his season and how he played week to week almost and good weeks and bad weeks. Is that an edge now for us over other managers? Maybe because they're not going to. Only people that obviously listen to this podcast will will have viewed that. And I assume we think that's an edge knowing that. And I think we're going to change accordingly the way we play, maybe based on what we learned from him. And it got it got me thinking from that, that what other ways are there for, for managers to gain an edge? And some of these are, are really basic and maybe a little bit old school, maybe don't really exist as an edge anymore because the information's so readily available. Other ones on here are still possibly an edge that we can have. So I just thought I'd list down all of the sort of edges that I could think of. There's probably loads more as well that I didn't think of as sort of forms of discussion, how useful we think they are as edges, whether we use them as edges, whether it's something we could improve as edges and, and things like that. And just try and work out where there are sort of pockets of information still available to, to all managers now that maybe everyone doesn't get or the majority don't get. Um, but I think it, it sort of stems from a little bit as well, this thing around content creators, everyone copies them. And so where's the edge now? Because if you listen to the right content creator and just copy all their moves, then you'll end up with a, with a really high finish. And there'll be a lot of people that do that. So given those sorts of resources that are available now, where where do we get an edge from over those sort of managers, really? Because I say it seems like you can play casually for five minutes a week, maybe listen to one deadline stream, and you can do really well if you want to play like that and pick the right content creator. But as managers that are as engaged as we are, you got a fancy to beat those sort of managers, right? You'd, you'd like to think. So, wh- where do we gain those edges? So here, someone else can read them out. But a list of 
I don't know if we go through them section by section, but a list of what I feel like are edges or possible edges on the screen. Um, and I say, yeah, which ones do we use? Which ones don't we use? Which ones should we be using? Which ones don't really exist as an edge anymore? Just a sort of a something we can discuss. Really, there's no sort of theme for this part. No, that's that's fair enough. And and for the benefit of audio, I can I can happily read them out. Obviously, you've got statistical, so that's basic versus useful. You've got heat maps, and you've got average positions. For playing styles, you've got in a maverick and, and a rules based playing style, uh, which we'll come on to a bit later on. <laughs> uh, we've got tools. Uh, so fixture tickers, algorithms, and EO analysis, uh, attitude and commitment. So planning ahead, price changes, team news, and then there's match analysis. So your eye test, your tactical analysis, and the weekly style mismatches as well. Probably just go these one by one, shall we, and just see what we what we think. Whether there's an edge there, whether we should use it. Probably just go top to bottom, shall we, Darren? You can uh, you can start us off. I can do, yeah. Um, so statistical, basic versus useful. Yes, the ba- basic I was thinking is just the, the really general stuff we used to get. So player shots, player touches in the box, um, things like that. And I think there's an argument that those things aren't that useful because people could be shooting from any which position, right over out on the left-hand side could be a shot. And obviously the XG of those chances, now that the stats have become more developed, um, just shot numbers alone, penalty box touches alone, I don't think really tell us a lot. 10, 15 years ago, they were sort of the main stats, it felt like, and people use those to make decisions. It feels like we've moved on from those sort of stats, and now we're getting, say, XG of chances that are more useful. Um, I say where in the box people are actually shooting from, you get maps, little crosses, don't you, around the penalty box, the shots coming from, is that like on the six-yard line? Is it just slightly off to the left? But some people, I think, will still rely basically on the stats you might get on Fantasy Football Scout or something like that. It's literally just a list of... Attacking stats would be shots, big chances, shots in the box, touches in the box. And you can still probably do quite well using just that really basic level of statistics. So I say it's what I used 10 years ago. But now, I said, there's a, the depth of information around XG and other metrics is a lot better. So do we need to use both? Do we just forget about the old basic stuff? Is that even relevant anymore? How many shots are players having? Well, I think the, the thing with XG is... It's a summary of all those old things anyway, right? Yeah. XG is essentially a summary of shots in the box, touches in the box, um, big chances, all that kind of thing, isn't it? So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of noise around those kind of stats where actually XG is kind of summing it up all up for you anyway. Um so XG is a key one for me. Um oh and expected assists as well, similar thing you know cross volumes um uh, big chances created and all that kind of thing again it's uh, those kind of peripheral stats are summed up by x assist anyway um so you've got two really kind of key ones there and you can you can almost then forget some of the noise that that feeds into those anyway i do like the two you've put there as well heat maps and average positions because we'll see xg for example um it doesn't tell you the whole story because there needs to be there needs to be a shot in the first place for any XG to happen, right? So if a cross, if a player isn't getting in good positions, um, is you know hanging around the six yard box a lot, is kind of almost getting on the end of things. You know they'll have an XG of zero if they don't actually get their toe on anything, right? Because if you don't actually have a shot or an attempt, then your XG could be zero, but you could be popping up in really dangerous positions all the time. So. I think the three the three you've got there are, are kind of the key ones for me, with the statistics being XG and XA um, above anything else, uh, personally. 
I'm only slightly weary of XG because I remember early in the season, it must have been about 10, 12 game weeks in. So it wasn't a, a really small data source. It was a bit more than that. But Darwin Nunes, I think at the time, had a higher XGI than Erling Haaland. And I think Haaland had maybe eight to 10 goals at this point. It was, so it was early-ish on in the season. But I think Haaland was going along with an XGI of about one, which is obviously really good. Most strikers, really good strikers, normally about 0.6, 0.7. But Darwin Nunez at the time was about 1.08 or something. He obviously wasn't getting the returns that just and never actually did get that. So if he's yeah. relying purely on XG numbers and things, he'd have been in everyone's team, right, Darwin? I think I went there for a two or three game weeks. I think you said last week, Martin, you did, and then quickly had to get him out again. Yeah. Um, so I guess we have been led down by these things at some point. I mean, they're, they're, they're there as a... As a, as a let's be fair, a, a tool and kind of what we're talking about right now are tools. Um, it doesn't surprise me that he had that slightly higher XG than Haaland at the start because he was taking a hell of a lot of shots, but at the same time he was doing nothing with it. If you remember, he was um, chastised for being quite selfish early on. There was one or two times maybe potentially that he went through and could have squared it and didn't, took a shot. It's all adding up to XG, isn't it? So they xg is obviously a, a nice little statistic i i guess you could look at that and you know and would you punt someone over with with you know an xg of three over one for instance well, you probably would if that's what you were if, if, if maybe it was a consideration of two players but in reality it can't be the only thing that you that you look at without the backup of heat maps and potentially average positions as well so that that there what you the statistical part literally goes hand in hand with each other i think I, I think my use of statistics has gone down i don't use xg as much mm. as i did even probably at the start of the season we've just finished i did use it quite a lot early on but near sort of midway point after i didn't really even consider xg when i was picking between two or three strikers for example who i wanted to bring in the xg didn't come into it average positions i think has become a bit more of my sort of regular focus I realised sort of late on in the season with Eze, for example, when once Zaha got injured, Eze's position completely changed and the way Crystal Palace um, set up completely changed. So when Zaha was available, he was their most forward player on average position map, sort of high on the left. Same with Martinelli at Arsenal. Um, so average position was really high for Zaha. Once um, he got injured, the left-sided replacement player played a lot deeper and Eze was moved from more of a number eight role into a number 10 role. And he became the furthest forward and also more centrally than where Zaha used to be. And I'm not saying it led to loads of points from him, but just having that awareness that that had happened once a player got injured that was significant to the way a team built up, I think is potentially an edge. Because most people wouldn't have seen that, right? I don't think I didn't see that on any other pod spoken about. Maybe it was just one I didn't listen to, but it wasn't something that was wide stream across the community was it that that had happened with with Eze and so it didn't I don't think it necessarily led to loads of returns but it can't be a bad thing if you've got access to that sort of thing and have been made aware of that sort of thing so I feel like that's probably the edge that's most sort of lucrative I think from that statistical section if you can see an average position change I think I was quite quick onto it with Trent as well once he started moving positions that he his position changed and I think we all got on him quite early, didn't we? Where other people maybe took three or four more weeks to, to make that move. Think so, Martin, Martinelli once in Ketia was in the team and head of instead of Jesus was another one as well, wasn't it? So, yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, um, it's one I don't tend to talk about on pods because I do try and like to keep some of my edges to myself as much as I like to share my information with everyone. I think it's quite nice to have some things that you feel like you've still got the edge as much as we're here to help people or try to help people. But that, that's probably one for other people, I think, to keep an eye on over the season, certainly in the early game weeks, because we're not quite sure how certain teams might set up with new signings and things. Looking at average positions could be quite a good way of seeing how defensive or attacking certain players are playing. Okay, cool. So let's let's move on for statistical. Let's go for tools next. We'll go from we'll go down the list. Um, so fixture tickers, algorithms, and EO analysis. Now, obviously, we've done a bit on EO analysis, haven't we? Yeah, we touched on it last week. Um, yeah, the only problem with that is really it doesn't really become known until the game week started. So it's, it's, it, you can predict maybe what it's going to be pre kickoff, but you won't get the actual not until obviously until everyone's locked in. But I think it doesn't hurt to be aware of it. And I think me and Martin talked about it quite in reasonable detail last week that it could be quite handy if you've got a 50-50 call to go for the most, uh, the higher owned player for a bit of rank protection. And maybe not everyone thinks like that. And I think even me and Martin going into last week maybe weren't so of that mindset. So I think that one is maybe an adaption for maybe for all three of us it could end up being this season. But I think it's something that can could end up being a good or bad decision maker for you. Yeah, I think... Um... There's tools like a uh, live FPL, for example, isn't there, that shows you like a team of threats around your rank and things yeah. like that. So th- there's things you can look at there where you could say, okay, well, I've got, I've got, you know, a lot of those covered off. Or you might look at it and think, bloody hell, I've got, you know, only only uh, a couple of those covered off. And then um, again, as we touched on last week, like if the, if if that if that helps sway, like a, what's a, what you think is a tight decision anyway, then I don't think that's a bad thing to do um algorithms isn't something i use at all i kind of feel like that's taking the game away from me a bit too much um and is making decisions for me like in in entirety like i would never just um i would never just purely use an algorithm you know just just log on on like a friday and uh you know log on to one of the websites that says this is my suggested transfer for you i would i would never start going down that route because then to me that's not I'm not playing the game anymore. Uh, so personally, that's a step too far for me. But you know, if, if other people want to use them, then obviously that's uh, that's their prerogative, and I wouldn't criticise that necessarily. Um, but they're not they're not for me. I don't think they're for any of us, are they? Really? No. F- fixture tickers, obviously the last one. That so that for me is I think is a big trap I'm falling into. Um, obviously, this, the FPL site has an FDR which. <laughs> Uh, we kind of use in our slides sometimes, you know, you know what's coming up, and it's got the green, the red, etc., for good and hard fixtures. But I think I often fall into a trap of seeing somebody with a load of green fixtures based off whatever it is that creates that, and I punt potentially somebody who's got let's say three green fixtures, and I probably shouldn't, and I should probably more instead of looking at fixture tickers and that type of thing look at where they are in the table their last few games and, and form and stuff like that um but sometimes i'm very simplistic in terms of saying and i'm craig's sort of smiling here when i say this i'm very simplistic in as much as i say oh you know man united versus let's go southampton is a green fixture let's just go all in on man united but man united haven't maybe scored in the last five games so why why would now be any different just because i see a green um so fixture tickets for me I do want to kind of carry on using them, 
but I need to be really strict with myself in terms of what I'm seeing and there needs to be more data behind it to make those decisions. They're not updated, are they? So obviously Lampard no. became Chelsea manager as an example, and that suddenly became a green, I think. Playing a home game against Chelsea was a green with Lampard as manager when probably pre-season it was a red. Mm. And if you go purely by the colours, you look at a section of red and it could have been bloody Chelsea at home and, I don't know, Liverpool at home through their bad patch or something. And you could argue yeah. in those periods of time, they weren't red fixtures. No. Um, so, yeah, I think you do have to maybe just take another 10 seconds and look at them rather than go by the colour. Um, and say so that they're all guesswork, aren't they, based on the current season, what's going to be asked. Exactly. Easier. exactly. Yeah, the algorithm is quite quickly is quite a good one because I don't use FPL review as an example, but I know a lot of people do. Not necessarily to be told what to do, but as a as a way of clarifying what they're thinking about doing. So again, if they've got a 50-50 call, um, they maybe use review to pick one. If they're not sure about captaincy or they're, they're thinking about captaining someone, but they're not sure, they'll use review for a, a second opinion. I guess I don't hate that too much. I, I think I just see myself as there's quite a lot of players, probably in FPL now, that don't watch regular football. And in, probably in some cases, never seen a game of football in their life. And somehow they play FPL every year because they play it purely from a modelling standpoint and a statistical analysis. And I think I set my goal out to beat those people. I feel like I should be able to beat someone who doesn't actually watch football. So I, I don't use them for that reason because I don't want to become someone like that. Maybe it would help my game a little bit if I did log into FPL review and sort of triple check a decision based on what that's suggesting. But I think I'd be like what you said, Martin. I think I want to back my own decisions, not be dictated to by yeah. an, an algorithm. Yeah, we never. Yeah. And I, I I think using EO analysis is is different because looking at EO is it that's just gameplay, right? You're you're yeah. considering you're considering risk versus reward. Um so I, I think looking at EO is di- is different to looking at an algorithm from that sense because when you're looking yeah. at EO you're just you're just considering a bit of gameplay that's all yeah and I work into the yeah. algorithm either do you? if you made the algorithm you could be happy that all of the elements that you want that you think are important have been included in what the final outcome is but with these algorithms you don't know if they take into account tactical mismatches and things like that do you based purely on points of recent weeks or you don't know do you I don't know how clearly explained all these are in terms of mm. what's behind the, the algorithm but yeah. yeah, and uh, just just quickly on the on the on the fixtures is something I want to get a bit better at. We're coming on to our rules for next year in a <laughs> minute, um, and I think I am I am sometimes guilty of not considering future fixtures enough when I make transfers, or, or you know I I don't anticipate problems soon enough. Um, so I I just want to look at you know for you know for example ending up ending up with six players in a Man City Liverpool game for example um when you maybe could have made a slightly different decision that could have avoided that um so again it's 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 uh, it's those 50-50 calls again um and yeah looking looking at fixtures to make those I need to be a bit better at it's not quite as simple as just oh yeah their next three fixtures are good I want to get better at looking at actually how it impacts the rest of my team it's cool. um so uh, but yeah, in, in in terms of the color coding, yeah, I, I don't really pay any attention to that. I just use my own judgment. I need to get better at making sure I don't have a defender playing against a striker quite as often as I seem to. Again, that comes yeah. into fix. Like that happens to me loads. 
<laughs> we've got we've got some of our rules coming up anyway, but uh, we can always add a few more that maybe didn't get written down. There's one or two I was thinking of just now based off what we're talking here. I thought yeah, I do that a lot actually, and I don't need to. Um, cool. All right, let's go for playing style then. So an inner maverick or a rules based, considering we were mentioning rules two minutes ago. Um, it's difficult that one, isn't it? Because I, there are one or two certain rules that I do apply to me to myself. Obviously, next year we're all both, we're all looking at rules, and we want to try and hold each other to these rules as well. Um, I'd probably say there's much more of an inner maverick about myself in terms of FBR than there is the other one. Um, I do take stupid risks, and uh, it, it usually doesn't pay off. Um, and that's exactly what an inner maverick is. So that that's normally my playing style. But I would definitely say anybody who's got the playing style of rules would fare better. I think the point yeah. was when I raised it, Darren, I think you need to have an inner maverick. I don't think not, not every FPL manager's got one. I don't think they've got it in themselves to take the risk. Uh, so I think you need to retain an element of it. You maybe need to tone it down a little bit and think about your rules before you go ahead and do the maverick move. But yeah. to, to win FPL and probably even to do top 5k or something there are times you are going to have to be a maverick whether it's with a captaincy whether it's going to be with a transfer and especially those that follow the algorithms every week and the content creators every week they may end up just playing the safe play all 38 game weeks there's nothing wrong with that but there's only so far you can get by doing that i think and you need to have that inner maverick in you that say don't use it every week maybe don't use it too often in the season but you need to have the capability of actually being that guy and yeah then that's the important thing I think I think the key for me in that is only do it when you really really believe in it. Like I've I've had I've been guilty in the past of trying to do a maverick move because I feel like I've fallen behind a bit or I'm just a bit pissed off. So I just think, oh fuck it, I'm just going to do that just because I feel like it. Um, and I don't really believe in it. Um, but again, you know, the previous pods we've done, we've seen that it's okay to have a handful of bad game weeks. The winner had a had a good handful of bad game weeks and a, another good handful of average game weeks and and all that kind of thing. So I think being maverick just because you're not happy with your rank or just because um, you're pissed off with the previous week, you're pissed off with a good player that just hasn't, just, just had a couple of bad weeks but is highly likely to just come good again, all that kind of thing. I think that's what, that's what, need to try and avoid and only go against the crowd when you really strongly believe, actually, I think this is a week where I really don't agree with what everyone's doing here and I am I am going to do it different and I understand why I'm doing it differently. Um, and it's because I genuinely believe that um, th- that I'm right and they're wrong this week. Um, and, and there may not be very many of those weeks, but then again, that's probably, that's probably not a bad thing. I stick by it when I captain Havertz over Salah, whatever it was two years ago, that eight out of ten times if you rerun that game week, Havertz gets more points than Salah. Salah's not going to score a hat-trick away to Man United every week and Havertz isn't going to blank in an 8-0 against Norwich or whatever it was every week. I don't think that was a yeah. bad call. It was a mad no. call and it went horribly wrong in that week. But I think you need to retain the ability to, especially once it's gone wrong as well, you need to still keep believing and have the the, the wherewithal to actually go through and do it again, I think, next time and hope the next time that the result yeah. is what you think it's going to be. But... Some people will just be put off for life, won't they? Once they be a maverick once and it goes wrong, and yeah, or yeah. or they'll um, or they'll they'll do that and then they'll do something maverick that they don't really believe in the next week to try and make up for it. Um, and and I think that's the thing to avoid. I mean, you you did it then because you you genuinely believed that that was the right thing to do, and it didn't come off. And 
you know, shit happens. But, you know, knowing you as I do, um, I very much doubt that you then spent the next couple of weeks doing stupid things that you didn't believe in to try and make up for it. You're talking to Craig there, definitely, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you've touched upon a a rule there, obviously, I'm trying to implement it myself, but you're right. I think when you have one of those game weeks where you choose, let's go Havertz over Salah again, and, and it doesn't pay off, you've got to look at that and say, well, you know, was that a stupid move? Or, you know, you've got to be able to actually differentiate between the two. Was that stupid? Or actually, was that just really unlucky? Because, you know, you know, when Salah blanked in that uh, 8-0, 9-0 Bournemouth, or Southampton, I can't remember what it was now. Uh, Bournemouth, it was, yeah. Yeah, Bournemouth. Um, again, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with going for a Salah captaincy against that. Everything, you know, you, I mean, the majority did, so you probably wouldn't have lost too much. But the point is, you wouldn't look at that and go, well, but I, I personally didn't look at that when I, when I saw it and thought, well, that was a terrible move anyway. What was the point? And get really angry about it. It's just what it is. Just one of those unlucky things. You would have expected it to, to happen. Um, okay, we're done on playing style. Should we move on? We've got two more. Yeah, let's move on. Cool. So attitude and commitment. So planning ahead, price changes, and team news. Uh, these these suck for me really hard. This is this is what these are three that I'm really terrible for. Uh, I don't often plan that far ahead. I. And, and when I did at the end of this season, because um, we were talking about it, and I made a spreadsheet of like the last six game weeks, miraculously, I went up 200,000 places to where I finished. Um, and I've, I've got to put it down to the fact I made a concrete plan with no stupid punts and it paid off. Um, but so planning ahead, I do need to get better at, but it's something I've not really done much. Price changes, I uh, it's the first season, I've got to be honest, that... I took price changes seriously in a way. And I know we've got a WhatsApp group and every now and then we'd say, you know, oh, so-and-so's rising tonight, someone's dropping, and it may have forced my hand once or twice, but I was listening to it more and more and, and, and trying to make sure I didn't lose too much value in a team so it would price me out of future moves. Um, and team news, I'm guilty, as everyone knows, of making transfers pretty rushed at and way before the, get the deadline. Um, so I often miss out on potential team news and uh, that's put me in a tricky spot once or twice. Um, so yeah, attitude and commitment is a huge one for me. Yeah, I think you're guilty. Let's say this is a pick on Darren moment, but it, it, you certainly, I think, in FPL shouldn't be making transfers at like two in the afternoon on, on a midweek day. I don't get why. You, I feel like your transfers should be as close as possible to the deadline without risking, obviously, the site going down or something. So you get the maximum exposure to any team yeah. news there is. And that means having the attitude, the commitment and the engagement to be focused on FPL around the deadline, which I know is not always possible for everyone, but I think you should try to where you can. Um, and the only other time I'll make change, uh, make a transfer is really around price changes. And I'm especially early on in the season, I feel like I play the price game quite well. You'll, you'll testify to this, mine, in our son of a gun team that was in the, the great beer tournament. There's quite a lot of good managers in there. And I think my team value at the end of the season was like a million more than anyone else in that group. And there's a lot of managers that finish in like the top 50k in that group. Now, the team value didn't really help me all that much this year because an affordable team was so easy at the end of the year because of Brighton, because of things like that. But in most seasons, if you've built up a good team value early on, it does allow you a lot more near the end, especially around double game weeks. You might be able to squeeze that extra premium player in or a Rashford over an Ericsson or something if you've got the extra million. 
So I think it's quite important early on to play price change as well. I think not being a big headed boastful way, but probably all the things on here is probably one of the things I'm better at. You are, yeah, that's my boast. And it's, it can still go wrong. Obviously, you can make a transfer and that player gets injured or you make a change thinking that all the projector sites are saying someone's going to go up and they don't. They're not always 100% accurate. But I think it is quite important to be on top of this early in the year. You can save a hell of a lot of money by getting someone out who's going down and someone who's going up, for example. Maybe not a lot of people are that engaged Yeah, to, to really do that. Especially if it's a move you're going to make anyway, right? Um, which, I mean... That's how I tend to do it. I don't. I, I don't think I'm someone that would make a move just because the prices are changing and I'm scared that everybody's doing it. But I do tend to. I do tend to try and have an idea of what I might want to do early in the week, so that then I can keep an eye on it. Because um, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to lose like point two or even point four on a move because, you know, the person coming in's gone up point two. The person going out's gone down point two. And I was going to do that move anyway. Um, you wait for a press conference, but so, don't tell you anything. And you've lost point four. Yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, bloody pep. So <laughs> early in the season, I am liable to make early moves for that for that reason. But I think in the, in the second half of the season, not so much. The second half of the season, I I, I kind of prefer to think um, to to not worry about that. I just watch um, watch a, watch a team news stream like on a Friday or. Well, Planet FPL was the one I use. It was one of the reasons I pay for Patreon because then I can watch James's team news streams um, before all the deadline stream shit kicks off, um, and it's all it, it it all feels quite zen compared to as compared to a deadline stream. Um, so so then I'll tend to do that and be like, okay, yeah, pretty confident they'll play, and then try and make the transfer in the morning if I can. So yeah, different different strokes for different times of the season, or depending if the prices are changing, really. It's definitely, a, yeah, transfers definitely for me right before I go to bed last thing, pretty much, or close mm. to the deadline, not sort of, in, yeah, not in the daytime or any time really, because well, why are you doing it then? Unless you're about to board a flight or something. <laughs> well, why would yeah. you do it? Why would you do it then? Yeah, I mean, so I did start, I did start at the end of last season to put time in my calendar actually to on a Friday afternoon to look at potential transfers. And then I would make them Saturday morning because um, it doesn't take two minutes to jump onto a, onto the app and make some transfers, unless it's a Friday deadline, obviously, and then it would be Friday afternoon. Um, but that's the only time it can catch you out, obviously, if there's one game on a Friday night and you've got a kind of, you're making a transfer for a Saturday team, that's the only time it can really catch you out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, for me, I, I do need to get better at that and carry on making transfers closer to deadline and, and planning it um cool uh, anything else on the attitude and commitment no i don't think so um yeah no let's move on nice so last one is match analysis so obviously the eye test tactical analysis and weekly style mismatch <sighs> someone else can go first on this one well this is this is your baby isn't it really craig so you you <laughs> kick us off it's the, it's the edge you get over people that play with the algorithms right i don't watch any football i don't mm. see anything they don't see if someone's right-footed or left-footed. They don't see if there's an opportunity if a, if a team's playing a certain style. I wouldn't see that John Stones played as a, a number eight in the Champions League final. I just see John Stones and probably think he's still a centre back. And he was terrific, like by the way. Yeah, he was very good. But um, so knowing if a team press or don't press, I think is you can you can get a rough idea. So I'm going to try and do some more pods about 
certain games in certain weeks. I did a couple towards the end of last season. I think most of them were not too bad in terms of accuracy. Um, to try and look at a game where one team is potentially in line to be very dominant over the opponent and then try within that to look at, hang on, this team's weak down this side or this player gets caught out of position a lot in this position and X player can then take advantage of that. And so I think I, I can't see algorithms being deep enough or on it enough to be on top of these sorts of things. This feels like the area, is, if you are engaged enough and do watch enough and within reason know what you're looking for, this feels like the big edge now to me over the majority of players that may be a bit more casual. Um, I don't even know how many content creators maybe go deep in this sort of stuff or even value this sort of thing as being something that's that's worthy. Um, but to me, it feels like is, there's some big advantages here, especially if you're looking at, we've said before, Martin, about having sort of nine, eight, nine template players and a couple of rogue picks as the differentials that might give you that extra four points to get you up the up the another million places up the uh, leaderboard. Having this sort of analysis might be the difference to know which player to get in in one of those two rogue spots. And that feels like yeah. that could be um, the big edge. Especially if they're very low-owned, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's something It's something I'd like to be better at. Like, I think, you know, the pods you started doing towards the end of the season were really well-received and I listened to them all um, and really, really useful. Um, I, it's not something I profess to be a natural at. I didn't start last season. I came up. To, I started getting more into it as the season wore on. I I, I wouldn't know anything about this really. Start of last season, mm. um, hence why I made such bad predictions when we did the predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I, I was quite good at the predictions. I think, I think the thing is with me, I I get. Um, I think there's certain there's certain types of players that I'm good at having a gut feel for, and there's certain teams and certain matchups that I'm I'm good at instinctively. Like in my in my head, there's like a thousand things going on, and I am quite good at kind of processing it into a couple of seconds. Where I think actually, yeah, this might happen, but actually articulating why um, is 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 not always something that that I'm great at. Um, and I do, yeah, I, and I, I I do think I do get a good feel from watching live games. You know, when a player is a good fantasy asset and when they aren't. But as I say, articulating exactly why. Um, is um is is something I could definitely be better at and and maybe that would you know that would just enhance that a bit more isn't it I think it's one of those things where I I want to start trusting myself a bit more because I do feel that quite there's been a number of times this season where I've I've fancied a kind of eye test pick or a matchup pick with you know a kind of fixture pick and then I haven't done it because I haven't found any confirmation bias anywhere it's like what nobody's uh or, or even or even i found people talking like against it and and i've i've been guilty of doing things sometimes this season that i don't really believe in just because everybody else is saying it mm. um so i do think i want to trust myself a bit more with the eye test this year and if you're limiting that to one or two spots in your team you can probably take the risk right say so yeah if you've got four or five of these sorts of players then dangerous but one or two i think is is fine most weeks yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I test for me, it's I, I do watch a lot of football, but I find myself just enjoying watching football too much to really look at it and go, oh, you know, that person's in said position, they're getting up really high. That's a great idea for fantasy type of thing. I'm just enjoying the match as it is. And I, I kind of maybe should look at a match, but also record it at the same time watch it to enjoy it and then play it back and maybe have a look at analyzing it and if i had the time to do so it would be would be fantastic um 
but I, I find myself just watching football because I enjoy watching football and I'm, that's, that's kind of what, why I watch it. Um, I'd like to be able to be more tactical minded to look at players like, you know, to me, I won't miss obvious things like, like you mentioned, John Stones. It was very clear to see that he was not a CD, a, a, a central defender. He was playing higher, he was in midfield and, and he had a really good game. So for me next week, you'd be thinking, well, you know, if he's, he's listed as a defender, John Stones is probably a good pick to have as, a, as an FPL asset in that sense, if he's going to be doing that. Much like Trent at the end of this season, he was not a right back. He was pushed way up and, it, you know, so those things are not, those things are obvious to spot when you do eye test, I think. Um, but yeah, the other intricate little things, like when you mentioned like how high Martinelli gets and stuff. I mean, I know he was getting in decent positions, but to me, he was just getting in decent positions. I didn't really think of it tactically, like he's the most forward first, um, most forward uh, midfielder and, and almost playing like a forward. That, that kind of thing didn't really come to my mind too much. Um, so like Martin, I, there's something I need to get better at. It might be worth, I'd say, everyone's got their own time and how they spend it. But I think you can see enough just by watching matches of the day. I don't think you need to watch 60 to 90 minutes of every match to see things. If, if you a game finished and you looked at the average positions on one of the various apps that show you this sort of thing, took note of average positions and then maybe went to watch the match of the day highlights to see if the player made use of that average position or how, how they was getting the ball, you'd probably see enough to, to notice odd bits and pieces. And that could be a good starting point for maybe for both of you even. Um, I'd say, I don't think it has to be a massive time investment. Um, probably just by watching match. Um, excuse me, I guess we all watch match of the day most weeks anyway. I think it doesn't need to be any more yeah. than that. Yeah, I try to. Uh, absolutely. A bit difficult, but yeah, I try to. <laughs> um, I'm probably up early enough to watch it on the morning, the, the day after That's Saturday. What That's why I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bloody kids. Um, <laughs> right. Um, are we done? On the gaining an edge and the different ways we can. Yeah, I think the next slide is going to sum some of it up, isn't it? So really um... is. It's a lovely little, lovely little slide here. Um, so these are our FPL rules to live by. These are obviously things we've set ourselves for next season. It's a bit early, but uh, we have. Um, and we are going to hold each other to them as well, as much as we possibly can. Uh, yeah, I think so. Martin's I think I, 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 we've only got four. Martin's given himself six, so he's, we've got more, he's left himself more open to be made. Yeah, I did myself four yeah. as well. That's all right. We can go with Martin first. You can go through yeah. your first, and then maybe a little bit about each one. So I tried to. I spoke at the end of last week's pod about having a post-it on my laptop or on my monitor, just to quickly reference yeah. each week to to try and be a bit more disciplined. Um, and yeah, these are these are some initial things to come up with. I mean, to be honest these might change slightly before the start of the season. Um, it'd, be yeah, it'd be interesting if we revisit these maybe before game week one, actually, to see if we've changed any of them and why. Um, um, but yeah, so first one I've put is don't mistake a cluster for a trend. Um, I think there's been a couple of examples of this this year, and this isn't a hard and fast rule, but I think there's a there's a temptation sometimes to react to small samples small sample sizes um you see them all over twitter you see people on twitter with their own narrative about things and um you know it will be things like oh there's for example there's a, there's a trend that saka is starting to score more points than martinelli or there's a trend that odegaard is starting to score more points than saka 
Um, and I think with small sample sizes, it can be dangerous. Now, there might be a reason for it. You know, for example, um, you know, when Jesus was out and Enketiah was playing for Arsenal, that, that was a genuine cause for Martinelli's returns to, to maybe dry up a little bit because he wasn't getting the chance to to come centrally because Enketiah was kind of hogging that space. So it's, it's not necessarily a hard and fast rule because there might be a really, really good reason why a small data set is is valid. Um, but generally, I think um, I think I want to I want to try and avoid that kind of noise on Twitter about small sample sizes and getting tricked into thinking it's trend it's a trend when it's not a trend it's a cluster. Um, and, and and a way of illustrating that um, maybe is if we look at Arsenal and Brighton this season. Odegaard finished on 212 points. Saka finished on 202. Martinelli finished on 198. So there's only 14 points from Odegaard to Martinelli there. There's a 14-point spread across those three players. So actually, um, again, it depends on the point you were doing it. You might have been doing it when Nketiah was in the team. But if you were moving all those, if you were trying to move those players around, and I did this, I took Martinelli out of my team at the wrong time. And then he started scoring loads of points again. Um, Remember that? I did it. You know, well. I, and yeah, <laughs> I think lots of pe- lots of people did it. When I, actually those three players, they've pretty much finished on the same points. As near as damn it, they've all finished on the same points at the end of the season. So if you've been using transfers, moving them around, you've probably you've probably missed a lot of those points or some of those points, unless you got really lucky. But even if you got lucky, there wasn't a lot to gain. Um, and then similarly at, at Brighton, March 147 points, McAllister 140 points, Matoma 138 points. That's even tighter. So there's only a nine-point spread across those three players. Um, and again, lots of people spent transfers moving yeah. those people around, and there was absolutely no point. You know, you should could, could have been using your transfers somewhere else. Probably um, one of my favourite rules there, and well explained to you by you there, Martin. That's that's a big one, I think. Yeah. So. Again, it's not necessarily hard and fast. There might be a really valid reason why a small sample set is valid. Um, but in generally, I'm going to be much more wary of them, I think, next season um, and not be moving players around that don't need to be moved around. Um, don't replace a problem with another... I'll just make a quick point on the trend thing. It could, it could be as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. A player's got... Say, that, say they've got three attacking returns in three weeks, but they could have been playing... Again, let's use it as an eye test example. Three teams that don't press very high or something like that. And that's why they got the returns. Now they're going to run into a game where the next three games are against teams that do press high. Said player's probably gone up 0.2, 0.3 because everyone's now jumped on the bandwagon that they've got points. But again, it's maybe a fixture mix, uh, mismatch why under such a small sample that player's done really well. And so you then, you, one, you feel like you've missed out on all the points already. Two, you're paying 0.2, 0.3 extra to get them having already missed the points as well. And now you're getting them in for fixtures that don't actually suit the player. So yeah. it's those sorts of things to bear. I know that's all a lot of ifs and buts maybe, and a little bit of extra knowledge or extra opinion, if you want to call it that. But I hate being in that position, especially with the cheap midfielders. It feels like so easy to jump on someone a couple of weeks after that because they've got a couple of returns. Yeah. Um, recipe for disaster, I feel like that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my second one is uh, don't replace a problem with another problem. <laughs> um, so again, it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, um, you know, just because you've had a bad week, don't compound it by leaving yourself liable to another bad week by trying to chase your tail. Um, if if you've punted somebody and it's gone wrong, then 
don't I this, this is a personal one for me but I, I do have a tendency to just replace a punt with another punt um when actually it would maybe more it, there might be something more sensible to to do so again we spoke on a previous pod this week about I, I had Firmino and Skamaka for about four weeks or whatever and I and, and I had Firmino because I'd um I'd bought him in for Darwin uh, and all that kind of thing. And so I, I had a period there I was re- replacing punts with other punts when really I should have gone and got Ivan Tony. That was the sensible thing to do. He was part of the template by then. Um, it was clear that he was going to, cons- you know, liable to return consistently, all that kind of thing. Um, and again, it's it's it's, um, it's part of not having too many punts in your team in totality as well. Um, avoid average players from average or poor teams. Um, so again, just a couple of numbers to talk about this. Um, and again, sometimes there are exceptions, but um, out of the top 20 defenders in FPL this year, the top 20 point scoring defenders, only two of them were in bottom half teams. And that was the 15th best defender and the 20th best defender. Um, so there was absolutely no need to have defenders from bottom half teams this season. Um, four out of the top 20 point scoring midfielders were in the bottom half only. So the ninth best, the 15th best, the 16th best and the 20th best. Um, so again, midfielders from bottom half teams were easily avoidable. Um, and forwards, obviously we're into a smaller pool now, um, but only two out of the top 10 forwards um, were in bottom half teams. I think that was Iwani and Antonio, um, who, who hardly scored a lorry load, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I think just picking good players from good teams. Um, there will be exceptions, like there's been... Um, there have been examples in previous seasons of a player in the bottom half being just like a mega talisman and finishing high up the ranks, but they'll probably become part of the template anyway. So you might pick them based on that. Um, but in general, um, I want to I want to try and avoid picking poor players from poor t- or, or not necessarily poor players. But like I had Ward Prowse when it was clear that Southampton were crap at points this season. Um, you know, I had Saha when it was clear that Crystal Palace weren't scoring enough goals under Riera. We're not even having shots under Riera. Uh, that kind of thing. That kind of thing can be avoided. Um, don't make a transfer without looking at, at future weeks. So I've touched on that already. Just just a bit more future planning. Don't leave myself uh, in a hole that I don't, you know, leave myself with a problem in two, three weeks' time. Um, don't do things you're not sure about on someone else's word alone. So again, touched on that before. I've made tra- tra- some transfers this season. Or I've not done things sometimes this season just because just because somebody said something or a couple of people have said something and it's made me doubt myself. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of elements to that there. I'm not going to do things just because somebody said it. And I'm also not going to not do something just because somebody said it if I really believe in it. Um, and I'm going to read this list every week before I make a transfer. Yeah, nice, nice one at the end. You might not make that bold, Martin, or size 20. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll come off the note, but yeah. <laughs> um, cool. I really like that list. And, and the way you, the, the whole um, don't mistake a cluster for a trend is a really, really cool um, rule to have. And it really well explained there. Uh, I think I'm guilty of that as well. Um, nice. Thank you, Martin. Craig, on to yours. Yeah, just four for me at the moment, but there might be some more to add. So, yeah, at the moment, keep eight or nine of my regular starters as strong template players. So, 
there was quite a big towards the end of this season. I ended up playing Dom Solanke far more than I wanted to. It, it, I think circumstance made me uh, I, I, when I got him in. He was he's expected to be my first bench player every week, but I kept ending up wanting to play him. I had Mark Gui in my team from Crystal Palace for about six, seven weeks in a row, and I think he got about ten points total across that. I ended up relying on again bottom half players, average players from average teams to um to to play more than they should do. Um, so they, they shouldn't be in the team. So it should be it should be eight or nine sort of fairly high owned players because that covers the template if they do well, two punt spots and keep those two punt spots rotating around based on form, based on fixtures, based on price changes, however you want to play the game. Um, but that, that's my plan. Um, sort of mixes into the next one actually a little bit. Avoid regularly starting players outside the top six to eight. So that's the Guihis and the Solankis. Um, so I think those players do a job in the squad. Maybe there'll be odd individual game weeks where they've got a particularly strong fixture, certainly the strikers at least, where you might want to play them. Even the defenders, I don't think it's worth playing a Crystal Palace defender at home to even to Nottingham Forest or something. You look at a fixture on paper and think, I've bought this guy in. This is basically one of his best fixtures of the season, therefore I have to play him. Well, no, you don't. But the amount of times I, I fall into that trap because... I'm not, I've got this guy in. I feel like I have to use him sometimes. And then I look at the fixture and think, oh, this is a good week to use him. He's got a good fixture. I shouldn't be doing that. So they should be squad players and emergencies rather than players that actually consider starting. So the bulkier team, we'll see how it goes with the pricing this year, whether we can have a decent team of players from the top six, top eight. I'm guessing it won't be quite as easy this year. I think FPL will probably learn its lesson. As much as Brighton were unpredictable, mm. I think Arsenal was probably... Uh, I don't know what I was thinking of Odegaard at six and a half, to be fair. That was that was never going to go well, was it? That sort of price. Um, so more of those. Um, number three, the side 50-50s with EO. We touched on that on the, on the last slide a little bit. Um, again, if you're not sure what to do and you've got your, your choice is a 50% player or a 5% player, damage limitation, right? If you play the 5% player, it does nothing. And the 50% player does well. It probably might be enough to give you a red arrow if you're quite template. Um, doing it the other way around. If the five percent player does really well, you, it's unlikely to damage you too much. But it can be frustrating when you look back and think, oh, "I could have got all these points and I've benched them," but really, it's not going to damage your rank. Where benching the fifty percent player could, in theory, damage your rank. So, I'm going to look at EO on tight calls. And then the last one here: don't be a smart ass with chips um, and try and keep them with the second half of the season. We we touched on it last week that I use a lot of my chips in different weeks to everyone else. That can work, but it hasn't in the last three seasons. I don't think um, all of my weeks using my chips haven't gone especially well. Um, so I should just fall in line. I think with a template a little bit more. And as we touched on again last week, keeping it for the second half of the season to use around doubles blanks. Even if you've got, say, it's game week nine and your team doesn't look that good on paper, it's not worth burning a free hit on it. You'll, there'll be a better week to use a free hit later in the season. So don't get tempted to, unless we get a random double game week in game week 10 or something where a superstar player's got two good games, then maybe you could use a bench boost then. But I don't see a circumstance where we'll get that. So, yeah, that, that's my four main ones. And there was another one on the, I'll have to listen to this back after because there was one on the last slide that I wanted to add and I've already forgotten what it was. So, we'll <laughs> add a couple of other ones to this, but. Yeah, that's where I am for now. Nice. Yeah, I think I think Martin mentioned revisiting it uh, by game week one. I definitely think that we can probably come up with another five for each, you know, another five each anyway, in, in all fairness. Um, I'll jump on mine then. So don't pick inferior players just to get team coverage. Uh, I fell very foul to this uh, this season when, as Martin mentioned, Ivan Tony was, was the play and I couldn't afford him. So I went for the next best 
thing and went for Brian Mbwemo. He did nothing. Points came out of Tony. I got nothing. And, you know, I think back to myself, yeah, maybe the person I got Mbwemo in for did need to go, but there was probably better people than Mbwemo. But Brentford had what we thought were good fixtures and potentially it was, but I couldn't get Tony. So at the end of the day, I should have potentially gone for someone else or not made the move at all. Um, Because I then had another player I had to get rid of when they were doing nothing. And it wasn't until the final two or three games that Brian Mbwemo actually did anything. Uh, so um, yeah, that's that's a big one for me. Yeah, I remember um, you getting Ericsson when you was you couldn't get to Bruno. I know there was a big price discrepancy, but you, you tried to get Ericsson for a block, didn't you? I think you had. Um, did you try and have Pekita rather than Bowen and things like that as well? I don't know. If that was purely. I've done good. it. I've done it once or twice. Yeah, I did. Uh, Paqueta, I had at the very start of the season when I could have um, when I couldn't afford Bowen. You're absolutely right. I went to Paqueta and uh, I think he scored one in the whole run of games I wanted him for. So that was a bit damning. Um, I was looking at Ericsson, but I did get to Bruno in the end. I, I, I learned my lesson from Paqueta and Tony and decided Ericsson was not the play uh, and Bruno was. He still did nothing, but everyone had him. So it was all right. Uh, I, I can accept that if no one else, if everyone else has done it. Um, so the one one obviously we've we've talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks and, and today in general is you plan your transfers and don't make them earlier than necessary. This for me applies a bit more to potentially Sky than it does FPL in reality. And that's you know, we all know that's something I need to get a lot better with, and I'm hoping that you guys are gonna help me with that this season. We've discussed that as well. Um, but with FPL, I, I am known to potentially make a transfer earlier than I should, not wait for team news. Um, I haven't done it loads this season, but in past seasons it has cost me, but I don't think I've made the mistake too much this year. So uh, it's still one I need to put, put, put in front of me and make sure I don't do that. Life is busy, as everyone knows, I've got 10,000 children. So um, I sometimes have to find that free two minutes to make a transfer. Um, but I'm my generally, I could probably make them Saturday morning and it's fine. Um, pick fewer rotation risks and punty players. If anybody saw, in fact, no, no one did see because obviously you guys talked about it last week, but, um, I had notes made for that and I had a wildcard team I had created in game week six and it was the most hideous game week six team you could have ever seen. If you guys can remember it, it had, uh, it was on the slides last week. We all saw it. You did, yeah, the, the Sterling one. Yeah, 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 you did show it, yeah. <laughs> of course you did, because I said, thanks for taking the piss out of me so much, Craig. Um, I, it was awful. For a wildcard team, it was, I tried to be really clever. Instead of doing, let's say, a template team with maybe two or three other players who were a bit off the, off the scale, it just was full of punty picks that I thought would miraculously do well, although they never had. And suddenly I would be getting over a hundred points a week for a couple of weeks and, and be up number one. So, it, you know, it had Sterling, it had Ward Prowse in it. The defense was, the defense was fine, as you pointed out, you know, it, but I, what, what, what you said on the, on the pod when you did it was, you know, oh, his defense is actually okay. I had Trippier, I had Trent, I had um, Van Dyke. I think I doubled up on that. And, and, yeah, and Saliba, I think. Yeah, Saliba and someone else. And genuinely, you were like, the defence is fine. And it was. However, I also thought, that's a lot of fucking money spent in that defence. <laughs> uh, and there was. And, and that really maybe limited me 
um, in other places, which is why my team then potentially my next most expensive player was probably was apart from Haaland was probably Sterling at like 10, 10.6 million. Awful. Um, so yeah, terrible team. So I've got to learn from that. I don't need to pick players who are potential injury risks like Reese James. I don't need to pick people who are real big punts. Um, it goes back to your point, Craig, about having eight, eight, nine template players and then a few around it. Um, I think that has to be the play. I think we've seen that from uh, our research this year into to what other people have done is that is unfortunately the way to play it. Um, unless FPL change their rules and do something miraculous, that's the way most people are going to have to play it. And unfortunately, we did all end up with a very similar team at the end of this year, and that goes for everybody really. So it does, it, it, it might get a bit stale in that sense, but it's the way to do it if you want to win. And then um, don't panic after a bad game where you can take hits to fix things They're not that are not broken. We're all guilty, uh, I think, potentially of getting a bit upset when, when a game week doesn't go our way, when you look at it on paper and think, hey, that's a really good team, and then it does tosh. Um, but me, I'm, react- I'm reactionary. I get re- way too annoyed about it, and I'll just smash out three players then for a minus eight or something um, and get three probably no-hopers in. And then what will happen is the next week, the people I took out, they'll, they'll perform. Um, because you know they were probably solid picks before, um, but I just got annoyed with them not scoring and, and got rid of them. And I and I really need to not do that. My hits this year weren't terrible at all, actually. Uh, I didn't take as many as I had in previous years. That's something I was conscious of anyway. Um, but I definitely certainly did it once or twice with a minus four to get rid of say two people and and get others in. Um, so I need to not worry about having potentially a one bad game week we've seen again from our data and research that that will happen that can happen and if you're you know if you're getting a couple of six hundred thousand finish uh game week ranks and a million and then you get one that's six million you are obviously going to drop but funny enough i was talking to pep a little bit on twitter today um pep talk friend of the friend of the pod hello and he showed me you saw i think as well craig his game week one to six and he was hitting like one million you know, 500,000, one was in the like the, the, the tens of thousands and he was really consistent. Um, and then he got like two, six millions in a row a bit a bit later on, but his actual rank only dropped by about 50K. Um, and I thought that was quite a big thing. You know, you see, you think you see two, six million rank, uh, game week ranks in a row and, you, and I, I personally, I'd panic and think, oh my God, that's probably cost me a couple of million places, but actually it didn't. It only cost him 50K places at, at, at that stage. Um, so again, that's something to, to, to be wary of. I, I shouldn't panic after I see if I have a really bad game week, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's still very achievable to, to score high after that. Um, but that's my rules. Thank you. Cool. Good. A few different ones there. Um, yeah, which is, which is good. Like everybody should have, should have their own kind of, you know, things that they think they're good at, that they think they're bad at, that they want to do differently next season. There's no right or wrong answer, you know. You play FPL for your own reasons, for your own, you know, for your own outcomes, and um, depending on what those are, you know, that will dictate how you how how you approach it each week. But uh, but yeah, all good. Awesome. There we are. Literally just 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 past the hour. What way to finish? No questions. Yeah, like, I didn't no, there see any. There no, were... we did send out a tweet quite late. Yeah, we did. There weren't any questions. I I feel like it was one of those where any questions were probably likely to be covered anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, true. Um, 
So, so yeah, there weren't any questions, but um, yeah, if you enjoyed the pod, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a subscribe, go back yeah. and listen to the other pods we've done in, um, in this preseason. Mm. They're all, uh, they're all along a similar, you know, similar theme, but with different topics, um, you know, a lot about sort of gameplay um, in this off season. I, I think it's good. We've done these pods before the game is released actually, so that we can, we can just talk about the actual game itself um, out with being influenced by, you know, the player prices and um, building our game week one teams and all that kind of thing. I think it's good to talk about these things outside of that. Um, so we've been doing that over the last few weeks. Um, so, so go back and listen to the earlier episodes as well. And uh, hello to you. Hours of content out of this, by the way. It's quite good going. What's that, Craig? I haven't got three hours of content out of this, but done well. I've done very <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, we have had we have had feedback to say you know it's been really good actually. Uh, people have commented on the YouTube videos. We've had things on Twitter that people said they really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I, I've really enjoyed doing it actually. I think it gives me it just gives me a real insight to what I need to improve on. And, and, and I'm I'm really looking forward to next year. And to me, to me, it can't come soon enough. In all fairness, I'm missing it already. <laughs> um, and thank you to uh, a couple of new followers as well we've had recently we've we've had a couple of new subscribers to the youtube channel so uh really appreciate it uh, if you've joined us in the last week or two it, my notifications did pop off that we had some new people so uh welcome uh we'll be here all pre-season and then obviously next season uh we're looking at places one two and three in the world <laughs> yeah, we'll see that. <laughs> all right cool we're rambling now let's let's uh let's wrap it up Yep. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Cheers, bye. Bye. bye.